Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen, amen, amen. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. How many of you got out to gather today? Amen, amen, amen. We want to say a nice, big, hearty welcome again to our first-time visitors. Let's big up God for them yet again. One more again. One more again. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand to our feet as we uh, complete our series today in Philemon. Uh, we are, well, we're a family now. We're in the last few verses of this book, verses 17 through 25 is where we are ending. Go. Amen. Amen. Father, we um, dive right in to your word today, and we want to um, continue to have our minds shaped by the word of God, um, shaped by your way of thinking and shaped by your way of doing things, and particularly in what it means, Lord God, to be the church being a prophetic voice today. Um, it is beyond needed, and can no longer be neglected. And so I pray that we would, um, we would find our hearts being changed by your truth and that what's in this Bible would make its way, with, that we would be all connoisseurs of kingdom nutrients in such a way, Lord God, that we would be able to share with our neighbor these realities and proclaim on our jobs and challenge where challenged and talk about a Christian worldview and help us to one of the things I, f I just feel heavily, Lord God, in this time is just the need for Christians to have a Christian worldview in every single area of our life, particularly in the contemporary issues that we deal with. So, God, help us to be honest. Well, we got to be honest and real where we have to be real and challenge where we need to challenge God in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, last week, um, of course, you heard about what's going on in Libya. And I um, ended up 
um, was texting with some friends and we're trying to figure out, you know, some ways to serve. And um, I end up, we, um, around our family meal, we talk about issues, we'll bring up biblical worldview issues around family tables. So we're sitting uh, for our meal and um, my uh, middle son, Nehemiah, um, we begin talking about Libyan slavery. So my sons come and they stand behind me. So I pull out my phone. I usually don't do phones at our dinner table. But I, I, I pick up the phone and I begin showing them a video, not of the atrocities, but just general generalities that are where they can sort of look at it. And my, my eight-year-old broke down crying. And, and, and he said, who are these people? I said, son, these are our people. And he said, these are our people? And he was, he could not, but he said, is this today? Um, and, and he was just weeping profusely and could not reconcile in his mind slavery in today's age, people of any kind being enslaved, but particularly people that look like him. And when I think about his emotional response, um, I, th I, I think about American Christianity. And in American Christianity, when we talk like we've been talking about our familial history, um, one of the things I get concerned about in broader evangelicalism is the way they talk about slavery. Let me explain that. When you read certain resources and you hear how they talk about slavery, even if what you say is true theologically, let's just say that, I don't get the emotional brokenness of people being enslaved. As I, I told you last time, I, I got a lot of commentaries, I got a lot of resources that I, that I read, and I read across the gambit. And one of the things that I, I sense in this country as we talk about these things is not the emotive, empathetic Romans chapter 12, verses three through the rest of the chapter. Let me explain why I say that. See, verse one and two, everybody know, uh, uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, uh, to uh, be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, and, 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 and you go on from there. And then nobody goes past verse 3. Because verse 3 and past that tells you how to give your life a living sacrifice. And it also tells you what a changed mind by Christ looks like when it's beyond just you and your vertical relationship with him, now it has to impact your horizontal relationship with your brethren. And until we get to that point as believers where this is an emotional connection, it, it, I can't, we can't just meet on the intellectual level and go back and forth about the systems of slavery because we can do that all day. But my question, this is my question, and our text lays this out so deeply. Are you, are you wanting to be, which I believe is theologically wrong, but are you wanting to be theologically right and not hear the heart of people who have suffered and experienced trauma? Because whether you know it or not, all of the way that we think about Scripture and our interpretation of it is cluttered with cultural baggage. 
And if we don't realize that, it can get in the way of our ability uh, to be really in remembering what I believe Philemon is talking about is us being family. It's one thing if somebody out on the street, if somebody got shot, and you, you're like, man, I, I feel for them. We need to pray for them. But when somebody that you have a relationship with, that you love, and that you were just with got shot, there's a different emotive response because of their nearness, because of connection, and because of relationship. Our division in this country is rooted in disconnection from one another. That, that's, that's where it is. We, we don't really functionally feel like we connected to each other. We, we think that you're that other Christian over there, but we're really not a body. We get under our denominational networks and tribal flags and forget that really in the heaven, none of that will exist. As a matter of fact, when Christ returned, all of our bylaws and documents for our organizations will dissolve and we will be consumed with knowing him and knowing one another. And we have to begin to let that ending impact our now. <clears throat> and that's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel, and I don't want to get, get ahead of myself, is always, always bumps up against human ideologies, human systems, and human forms. And so we come here to this passage and we're ending. <laughs> As Philemon is being engaged by Paul, and I love the masterful nature by which Paul engages him. Um, because this is one of the only <clears throat> letters <clears throat> in the New Testament that's a lot more, uh, in the Bible for that matter, that's a lot more personal. It's not it, 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 this is one that's named after a person for a person that ends up going viral, if you will. It's a viral letter that God wants to go viral later. And he didn't write it to embarrass Philemon. He wrote it as a way to challenge Philemon and a system. <laughs> now, why is that a, a, a pithy statement of saying a system? Because most white evangelical commentary says Paul wasn't trying to fight the slavery system by writing this letter, which is confusing to me. When I see the verses 17, 225, and we begin to unearth, like how is he not fighting a system? Because systems are fought through people, not a system. A system exists because people exist who uphold it. Yeah. Oh, and ain't nobody gonna talk back this morning, it's okay. So I got one point, I, I'm, I'm out your way. Um, one point. The gospel is both a message and a tool of the Holy Spirit in the body. The gospel is both a message, that's very important, and a tool. Most of the time we think of the gospel as a message only. Something we say, but not something we utilize. Um, this is, this is but, but, it, but it has to be, and what I like about this text is, is it's Holy Spirit-driven. And I'm going to show you in this text where this point comes from because he zoom lenses on Onesimus' heart. I mean, Philemon's heart. He doesn't <coughs> zoom lens on legislation. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't mention the Roman Empire one time. There's a reason why he goes for the heart first and not the system because the heart is where the system is created and upheld. 
And so he starts with the body. Verse 17. He said, so if you consider me a partner, this is like street language right here. I like this. This is Paul using a little bit of koine slang. Um, he, said, he said, are we partners or what? I don't know if y'all watch Boys in the Hood, some of that. What's a partner? You know, I feel that exegetically from this text. I feel the aroma of it, right? Partner here is the word koinonia. Somebody say koinonia. Um, um, the word here is used in a multifaceted way. It's used to talk about brotherhood and fellowship and family, but then I want to upgrade you. I want to put another card on the table. The word in its form here also points to business partners. It means that we actually work together. Now, you got to understand, Philemon is higher in the social class than Paul is. Paul lost his social class as a Roman citizen when he became a Christian and started preaching the gospel. Lord, help me today. <coughs> he, he had a high status, a higher status as a Jewish Pharisee in Roman culture than he does as an apostolic Christian in Greco-Roman culture. I wish I had time to just spend there. In other words, whenever God deals with your heart, you might lose your status. When, when God deals with your heart, <laughs> what begins to happen is what, because he legally persecuted Christians. Like, we're not talking about, like, he was doing something illegal. Matter of fact, he got approval and documented paperwork for persecuting Christians. When he became a believer, his heart changed. When his heart changed, what he used to do in legalism and legally, he could not do in integrity because he had someone in him called the Holy Spirit. So it rubbed up against his ethics when he became a Christian. Now, this is interesting. And also, it put him in the line of fire. It's interesting. I'm reading Frederick Douglass now, and it's interesting reading his story. And he's still a slave at this point. And in reading him, it, this is the thing that, I, I mean, some of the parts of his biography break your heart. The thing that break your heart is not merely what he went through, but the slave masters. Um, <clears throat> when you read his biography, he talks about one of his slave masters going to church. Group of them going to church. And him come, becoming a Christian. All the slaves were excited. So he came home. He said when he became a Christian, he became a worse slave master. After his profession of faith than before his profession of faith. Now, the question on the floor is, is Christianity on trial? <laughs> I would say no. I believe his heart in authentic transformation is on trial. See, it's impossible to become a Christian and become worse at without conviction. Because some of us are, we have some issues. Some of us, we, all of us got issues. We became worse and everything. And now we, we became worse with help, though. 
And so holiness is a challenge here, and Paul says we're partners. He said, so I, 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 he said now, I want to let you know something. Although you're above me in social status and culture, he said, you ain't above me in this faith. He said, we're partners. He, we're part, we're equal contributors to the kingdom. That, 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 like, it's every word he uses in this passage, y'all, is mind-boggling. He says, he says, he said, consider me a partner. He said, he says, see, if you, if you do, he said, if you consider me equal with you, partners get to speak into partners' lives. <laughs> and if we're really partners, you may want to listen. He said, welcome him as you would me. Oh, my God. Now, the question is, though, to understand this, how would we, he welcome Paul? If, if Paul, listen, if Paul the apostle was living today, and he came and there were no Christians in our region, you're in college, you're in Center City working, you're blue collar, all of us are just doing our thing. And he came and preached the gospel. And we came to faith. He planted this church, brought us up, appointed leaders, and Chuck the Deuces hugged us and said, I love you. He spent like three, four months with us, a year with us, loved on us. He ate with us. We had late nights. He walked us through some mess. How would you greet him if he left and came back? Would you greet him? With, oh, that's Paul. Would you say, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Some of y'all, y'all went to college with some people. If you saw them and you ain't seen them in a while, you'd be like, oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. I ain't seen you. Boom, would you? There's a disposition of excitement. He says, now you got to understand, <coughs> Onesimus was a runaway slave. So why does this make sense, what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, he's wronged you, yes, in whatever way you think he's wronged you, by leaving. But when he returns to you, because guess what, on, guess what Philemon has the right legally to do? He has the legal right to either beat him to a pulp, which Paul, by writing this letter, was confident he was going to do. Or he could have killed him by law. Paul says when he comes, I want you to act like he didn't do nothing. Hold on. Y'all got to hear me on this. I don't know if y'all getting this. Like, I, I know most of us ain't been no slave owners, but this is powerful that he would say when he comes back, But because you, you got to understand, he probably had other slaves. <laughs> Being in the social class he was in, he probably had talked to his friends about the fact that, when, when, man, when Onesimus get back, I'm telling you right now, and it was acceptable. They would, have seen, they would have seen this as a false dichotomy. They would have seen him as a Christian and a slave owner. So they wouldn't have seen this as opposite of what it meant to be a Christian. <clears throat> Paul wants to use Philemon as a way to show what it looks like to be a Christian and a slave master or ex one. Somebody catch that later. And so when he goes this into this, <clears throat> I like the fact that Paul isn't afraid to challenge the socioeconomic elite. <laughs> Let me just park there for five seconds. In our culture, Christianity needs to be okay with not being culturally centered. 
That means that we have to be okay with people not liking us for the right reasons. That's very important. <laughs> because of our cultural captivity and the quote-unquote fake legacy of this country, we believe we deserve to be a part of the pie. So I believe we're afraid, and I believe we're going to have a comp. I believe it's necessary that we are no longer a part of the elite. I believe and I hope that God dismisses us from the elite. Because the only time you can become empathetic with the oppressed if you become the oppressed. And, 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 the, and the challenge that, that Paul is doing is Paul like, I'm going at your heart. This how this unafraid of you. I'm not going to pull a picket sign out. Because a picket sign ain't going to change your heart. I'm not going to, not, I'm not, no, no, don't hear me saying y'all not, not to march and stuff, but I'm talking about this text. I'm, everything, it's nothing wrong with protesting, but I, I want to show you the greatest protest. The greatest protest is challenging the Christian heart. Because they can look at your sign and write a response to it. They can look at your tweet in your Facebook and write a response to it. They can write a response to your meme, but they have to sleep with the Holy Spirit. Okay. If you're a Christian, I don't know if you've ever been, if you, to my believers in here, if you've ever been under Holy Ghost conviction. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Wrestling with the Holy Spirit and trying to get him off of you is impossible. You can get my words off you. You can get my memes off you. You can get, but you can't get the Holy Spirit off you. <laughs> if you're here, and when he wrestles with your heart, even when you don't want to listen to something, he has a unique way of headlocking your soul. Unbarring your heart, rear naked choking your emotions, figure fouring. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. This old school wrestling stuff right here. Figure four. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Woo! Anyway, somebody get that on the way home. <laughs> Got a story to read. <laughs> One day, this is crazy. Caesar went over a friend's house, and this guy was known as a vicious slave owner in Roman culture. And Caesar was hanging with his buddy, and a slave came in and dropped a pot. And this guy <clears throat> was so crazy, he had a pool at his home with flesh-eating eels that he would put slaves into if they made the least bit of a mistake. So he says, bring, put, put, put him in with the eels. And Caesar says, hold up. This is Julius Caesar, the ruler of the known world in your house, tells you to hold up. He says, bring me all of his pottery into this room right now. They brought all of his household pottery and valuables. He said, break it all and then dared him to do anything to the slave. What a story. 
where even the fallen ruler of the known world at that time who legislated slavery understood that there were problems with it. And so when we look at the reality of these things, we are called to deal with this. Verse 18, he says, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, <laughs> charge it to my account. That's, I like that. I like that. He said, if he's done anything, I'll pay for it. He said, if there's any reciprocity issues and you've experienced a loss, I want to let you know, <laughs> I'll take care of it. I got you. You know, now Paul raising support talking about he's going to pay for it, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Paul raising money and just talking about he acting like he balling, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's interesting. He said, charge it to my account. In other words, put his debt on me. He's giving him gospel inferences. <laughs> he's, he's, giving him a little, he's giving him a little gospel nudge there. What he did to you put on me just like what we did to God was put on Jesus. So he doesn't say that, but he's, he's playing with him a little bit. He says, he says, put it in my account, right? Look at what he says, though. He said, oh, he said, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. He said, this time I'm not using a stenographer. Sometimes he uses a stenographer to write his letters. This time he says, this is my own handwriting, so you'll know what's good. He said, I will repay it. He says, not to mention, oh, yeah, my bad. You owe me even your very own self. That was, that, that's like gospel gangsterisms right there. It's, it, and it's literally is, is, is that. Um, he basically says, I'll pay you, but just remember, you owe me more than I would owe you. As a matter of fact, you owe me more than Onesimus owes you. Now, I've never asked you for what you owe me, but you're asking for what you were owed from Onesimus, which points back to a parable that Jesus told. Jesus told a parable about a guy that got forgiven. Then he went back and acted crazy about the little bit and then ended up getting put in prison until he paid off his debt because he didn't act forgiven. Help me today. <laughs> how, you how we treat other another as believers is a measure of whether or not we recognize we were forgiven. Now, in doing that, Paul is helping us out a lot because now he says, I'll pray for you. Why does he say, you, you, I mean, I, I, he basically he says, I led you to Jesus, man. He said, you wouldn't even be a Christian if it wasn't for me. You understand what I'm saying? Matter of fact, most of your sanctification and all that's going on, God has given me the grace to invest in you. And so Paul challenges him on that reality to kind of put it in him because even Galatians says, let the one who is taught the word, share all good things with the teacher. He said, I ain't asked for no offering from you, Philemon. You know, I could have asked for some, a little something, something for the ministry. Amen. Verse 20. He said, yes, brother. He calls him brother. He says, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. I love that. The same way he has refreshed other believers, same way he's refreshed other believers through 
this experience of being, having the church in his home, Paul is saying, renew my heart in your commitment to the gospel by refreshing me. And as he begins doing that and laying that reality out for him, he says, since I'm confident of your obedience. I like that. It's a conditional clause that means you are going to be obedient, right? <laughs> now, what I like about him calling him now is he's saying, he's letting him know that even though I'm not appealing to you as an apostle, you're still called to be obedient in this area. <laughs> That's what I'm looking at with our culture is we don't see, as the church in our country doesn't see, dealing with racial injustice as an obedience issue. We see it as, we, we don't necessarily have to deal with that issue in particular. In other words, we can deal with other justice issues, but we don't have to deal with this particular issue because we don't have to deal with this issue. But now, nah, the text is saying, Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm believing that you're going to be obedient, and when Philemon comes back, when Onesimus comes back, you're not going to whip him. But you're going to treat him as a brother. In other words, treating one another as family isn't a biblical option. It's not a biblical option to not treat one another as family. As a matter of fact, it is actually a command that we treat each other like family. Matter of fact, no matter what our ethnicity is in the church, even though many of us come up in our particular culture of Malu, we still should have a familial disposition towards each other. <laughs> See, if, if, if we had a greater sense of familial commitment to one another, it would shut a lot of stuff down in the church. And I'm not talking about erasing color. I'm talking about seeing your color and appreciating your color, appreciating your background, and, but dealing with you as a sibling. See, that's powerful in knowing that you were not siblings, but Christ through the gospel has made you siblings, and now you're ever able to now celebrate the fact that you're connected to one another even though you're not alike. Now, this, 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 this is a struggle here because with... With what's going on, I know that many African Americans are checking out of not merely just evangelicalism. I think you should. Check out of evangelicalism. But one of the things I get concerned about is in our frustration and even hatred towards the legacy and the familial history in America that we act like whites are not our family. We have no right to do that. We have no right. We, as I know you're angry. I know you're angry, and I know you read a little bit of history, and you got a little something. I'm telling you, you have to strike the balance of being righteously angry and holy loving. You better write that down somewhere. I'm just telling you right now, you're going to need it. I'm telling you because there are times where I want to de-multi-ethnic epiphany fellowship. Not because of anything you guys have done. I'm just being honest with you. Can I be honest sometimes? Sometimes I'm just like, let's just have black folk. So I don't have to translate nothing. I don't want to get an email. I don't want to deal with nobody. How about we just have black people and we just all fight together and say, see y'all in heaven. 
I'm just being straight up. Sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> but the text won't let me do that. And actually, to be honest, when I want to be fully segregated, that doesn't mean blacks don't need their own spaces to do ministry. That's not what I'm talking about, or do certain things. And I'll talk about that at another time. But what I'm saying is, I feel when I, when I feel that level of angst, there's a dark place I'm going to. Because really what I'm doing is I'm excavating out parts of the Bible that I don't like. And when you, when you do that, you actually darken your soul. But the same is true for our white siblings. When you ignore issues of racial injustice that minorities are experiencing, you go to a dark place. In other words, what keeps us together is the gospel. That's it. Now, some people say, that's so shallow. No, that's deep. That's the best help. Like, video commentaries and narratives and stories ain't a big deal. Like, so you need some gospel ministry to help you to remain committed to people. <coughs> and to develop, I was like, I'm going to delete all my white friends' names out of my phone. I'm just done. I don't want to talk to you. I don't care if you're even nice. I'm done. Right? And Jesus says, Jesus is like, where is that coming from? Not only where is that coming from, where is it going? Mm. Anyway. He says, since I'm confident of your obedience, I am writing you. This is the part, the kicker. Knowing that you will do even more. If there was ever a such thing as speaking those things that are not as if they are, it is right here. Paul is naming and claiming, blabbing, grabbing, calling, and hauling his heart. <laughs> he says, I know, he said, know why, know why? Because this is what's interesting. Even as a slave owner, he trusted his relationship with God. See, that's what we need to feel like we can do with our white siblings. Can we trust your relationship with God to investigate whether or not we're in a mess? Okay. And Paul, in doing this and bringing out this Challenge, he's actually requesting for clemency. One commentator said, there are three things that he calls for. And so when Paul is calling for this, this gospel call, the gospel calls us to go against the system. By number one, him not punishing Philemon, I mean Onesimus. Number two, by treating him like family. And number three, as commissioning him as a missionary. So not only, not only is he telling them you can't beat them, that's not Christian. You don't know how revolutionary that statement is. You have no eternal legal right to beat your brother. Now, he's secondly, he's family. That means now you have an unbreakable eternal bond with him. And Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do also to me. That's hardcore. 
But not only that, he says, I know you'll do even more than that because I did ask you something earlier. I did ask you for a, a favor earlier, didn't I? I said, send them back to me, didn't I? So I'm trusting that you're going to gather the church in your home and in front of everyone, you are going to commission him as a gospel missionary. Hold on. Y'all don't know when to shout. Like, that is crazy. You got to understand what he's doing. <laughs> Paul is calling him in front of everybody to exalt him in the midst of the gathering the way he felt demeaned as a slave in the midst of the gathering. And I want the leadership to come around him and commission him to the Apostle Paul as a missionary for the gospel. Now, you got to understand, word would have traveled. Now, what would that do to the other slaves that was, was under his care? Do you think he can control them now? They was like, we becoming a Christian. <laughs> Shoot. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. <laughs> what would that have done to his friends? It would have been a lot of conversations over wine, tea, and coffee. Where he's sitting down, you let him, how, who does that? Who has a slave that goes away and comes back, and you reward him? Where does that come from? Philemon can say, I'm glad you asked. God has been dealing with my heart about slavery. Dealing with your heart? What about your pockets? Nah, man. If I lose, I lose. But God, he's able to reward even when you give stuff away. Philemon can say, not only did I send him away, he had to get there. He's broke, so I had to give him some resources so that he can give there. We took a church offering for him. And his friends are like, this is weird. I got to meditate on this. <laughs> Why? Because the gospel, when it changes, now, do you, now, that's how you change a system. You change a system by converting the poor and the elite at the same time. Do you want a system to be changed? Now, I'm not saying don't do the other things. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about convicted change. Because, see, another president could come in and overturn something. Another, legal, another Supreme Court could overturn something. Like, all of that's overturnable. You can't overturn a heart that's been changed by the gospel. You, you can't. You can't. And so that's why we push. Even if they don't get converted, we pushed. <coughs> and, and so... And so, I, I, I got to end this. Um, it says, meanwhile, <laughs> this is, I love this. He said, also prepare a guest room for me. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just got my grill and all of my grits and sardines and pork and beans, and now you're going, my bad, DCing me. Um, now you're going to ask me actually to set up. He said, listen, I jammed you up, but we still family. I'm coming over the house. <laughs> Fix the dishes that I like. I'm going to be there. Fix my little spot. I'm coming. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
that his slave ownership and his obedience didn't cause him to be right off by the apostle. He says, make a guess room for me. He said, since I hope, he said, this is why. He said, this is the only way I'm coming. Since I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. He said, are there any issues between us? That's good family. What we got? What kind of gaps in our relationship? That's good stuff. That means I am believing that God is going to restore our relationship. Because I know you got some issues with me because I jammed you straight up and hit you where it hurts. But I still love you and I'm coming to see you. Wow. I love it. Last things. I almost ran past this part. But this part is actually rich. He named some people. And as I began looking at their biographies, I was like, this is very interesting that he names these people. He says, Epaphroditus, <coughs> my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. Mark, he says, Aristarchus, I got it right that time. Demas and Luke, my co-workers. Stop right there. Want to end on this. Epaphras or Epaphroditus is thought to be Apollos. Because um, Luke uses informal names, Paul uses formal names. Um, Epaphroditus was Paul's, Paul's co-worker. He was a native of Colossia. And guess what? He was responsible for the city's evangelization. So the whole city wouldn't have gotten saved if it wasn't for God using Epaphroditus to go proclaim the gospel so that the whole city would get saved. That doesn't mean literally every person, but the saturation of the gospel in that city. Mark, the North African Jew. So you have a Colossian, you have a darker-skinned guy from North Africa, from Libya. Then you got Demas. He was a good little worker. But Demas was the one who loved the world. He loved this present world, the Bible says, and Timothy, he said that he had to be handed over to Satan in order that he may talk not to blaspheme. Luke, the physician. <laughs> so you got a Colossian, a Cyrenian African Jew, uh, nephew of Barnabas, you have Aristarchus, which is a Macedonian Jew. You have Demas, <coughs> and you have Luke, the Antiochian physician who was a Gentile. You have this multi-ethnic group of people. This multi-ethnic, multi-colored group of people that do gospel ministry together. Their family. If you hear how Paul talks about his different Christian family members, it's crazy. And in doing this and in seeing this, Paul modeled what he was asking for. Lastly, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be specifically with your spirit. Where I look at this is bringing this all home and looking at this. We got a lot of stuff we want to do coming up. 
And I'll talk about that in the state of the church and vision address. This is how I look at this. Ultimately, we were all runaway slaves that needed to return to our master. He was going to send heaven's hounds after us one day and torture us in hell forever righteously and legally. And when we returned, like the prodigal through Jesus Christ, God brought us into a relationship with him. All human beings are runaway slaves. All human beings that don't know Jesus Christ are runaway slaves. But God, through the gospel, brings you in and doesn't put under you what could have been put on you. He makes you, guess what? Family. So now Jesus isn't just called our Lord. He's not just called our God. He's called our big brother. Why does the Bible use that language? Family. God is our father. Why is that language used? Because we're family. The Godhead is a family, and guess what? We're called to be family to one another. My desire and my prayer for us is that as we work through and live this out as walking as family, is that we would do all that we want to do in relation to what we're going to do with helping with schools. We're going to do that. We're going to help with school to prison pipeline. We're going to help with that. We're going to help with developing entrepreneurialism in our neighborhood and helping start African-American businesses, which is the low, uh, which is not enough of them in a community like this to build economics. We're going to do that. We're going to engage families. We're going to engage fathers. We're going to engage mothers, single mothers. and We're going to do all of that. However, if we do all of that without engaging the heart, the heart is the strongest system of the world that if it changes, the world changes. And so my prayer is, is just like Paul called for many challenges and systems, I'm praying that we would now add to our breaking of systemic oppression, systemic racial injustice, heart as the best and most powerful system that God is to engage in order to change a person. Because if you get the heart, you get the system. Lord God Almighty, maker of all things. The system or systems that we are in are corrupt. Every human regime is corrupt. Every last one of them. Why? Because there are people with corrupt hearts that lead them. It's not merely what's about what's on paper, it's about what's in our hearts. Because if there's a heart change, there becomes a system change. Lord, speaking of heart change, maybe there's someone here whose heart or soul, mind, emotions, will, everything within you has never been changed. 
by the renewing power of the gospel. I know nowadays when someone shares with people the gospel or becoming a Christian, it's so cluttered by the brokenness of what we've made it to be that it doesn't focus in on what it really is. And that's getting back to God. Christ took on the punishment that we deserve as runaway slaves. On our account, he took, on his account, he took our sin. On his account, he, he switched. He gave us his righteousness. But the only way to do that is to put your confidence in him down on the cross in rebuilding our ability to be connected with God. Through down on the cross and getting up from the grave. That is how we get back to God. What is righteousness? Being right in every single way positionally. In other words, God grant you a clean bill of spiritual health. If you're here today, and you want to place your confidence in Christ, in Christ alone, and what he's done. Hold your hand up real high. We would love to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Anyone here says, yes, I want to put my confidence in Christ and get back to God. In our culture, we got a lot of language. Keep God first. and what, like, what does that mean? Keeping God first can't be done unless Christ is in your life. If you're here and you want to place your confidence in what Christ has done for you so that God can be first and central in your life, hold your hand up. We'd love to talk to you. Amen. Let our men come. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.